Welcome back to the Plan Words Podcast. It's Miss Beth, and today you are in for a treat with this episode. I am joined by fellow Science of Reading advocate, Amelia Capitosa. She is so fun to follow on the internet, and we talk a lot about um, beyond second grade. There's a lot of resources around the science of reading before second grade, but her passion really lies in beyond second grade, and we talk about working with fourth fifth and sixth graders. Well, I would encourage you to listen to it even if you don't have a child in middle school because we do talk about a lot of strategies and how those early years strategies can relate to the later years or things that you might do with middle school, how that might look with second graders or even kindergartners. So it's a good episode. It's short and sweet and I hope that you get a lot out of it. listeners. Yay. So my name's Amelia Capitosa, longest, most complicated name ever. I always laugh. I'm like, it is kind of, it does actually, it's phonetically like spelled correctly when you say it and slowly sound it out, which is good, a good learning point for my students all the time. Um, but my students always just call me Mrs. Cap, so much easier. I am an Ohio educator. So I've been in education for over 15 years. I have taught a lot of grades because I've had to be moved around to work as literacy being, you know, kind of my thing. I was asked to teach younger grades, work as a literacy coach, work in, as in a classroom teacher in high stakes grades and all of the things. So my longest length of time was in fourth grade with upper elementary students, which really kind of have my heart in terms of a lot of the literacy things we talk about. And we'll, I'm sure we'll get into why. Um, but also I'm a mom of three boys, so never sit still. My home life is just loud and chaotic and I wouldn't have it any other way. And I just love it. So yeah, very passionate about literacy, very passionate about authentic texts and what that looks like in a classroom and just so many other things. And yes, very bubbly, as you'll see through all of this conversation. <laughs> I love it. And also, I forgot one thing that I was like looking up your bio and you said that you love to run. And I want to love to run my whole life. I've wanted to love to run. I run ha many half marathons and I it's just like I don't think it is who I am. I don't love it. So I love when other people do. I, I always say I'm like, I'm like a non-running runner or, or non-runner runner. Like I love to run, but I always think like those memes where people show them running, they look so awesome running. I am not that. I am like the, I'm dying while I do it, but I still love it because I love to listen to a podcast or I love to listen to an audiobook and run. But I always laugh too because I say like running around a neighborhood, you know, people drive by and I'm like waving and smiling and then they, they're done driving by and I'm like, <sighs> right? Like I'm, I'm good. But I just, I love the freedom that running gives you just like you don't need anything besides just to go outside, get some fresh air, get a run in, listen to an audiobook, and just like totally disconnect. And I just love that about running. I love that too. And it's also like very good for your brain to listen and learn something like while you're moving your body. So that must yeah. be why you're so smart. <laughs> Thank you. I love it. <laughs> um, okay. So you spent most of your time or your most recent time in fourth grade, which I love because, well, in my world, I shifted. I was a literacy specialist for kindergarten through eighth grade. And then um, when I built Big City Readers, I kind of shifted to do more um, of the early literacy. But then there's so many people that are like, well, what about kids who are struggling beyond third grade? And you know, I'm sure you can share some statistics about like what that looks like when kids are struggling to read in third grade. I kind of I'm like, OK, my point, my focus is like 
let's make sure that they're not struggling in third grade. But I'm so excited for you to share what do we do when they are. Oh my gosh. So. And see, here's the thing. I could talk for hours because I, and I always say this, this is the big thing I always talk about when I work with schools or with parents is that's like my big problem with the science of reading is that I love it. I love everything about it, but there's so much support out there for pre-K, you know, really looking at our merchant readers all the way up through about second grade. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, it's like every company, every curriculum, every school district, every state initiative just cuts it off at second grade. And, you know, you're in these classrooms and having taught fourth grade, been a classroom teacher, you know, I'd have more than 60 to 70% of my students that were reading at a first grade or kindergarten, you know, level in terms of what their skills and their abilities. And here we are being like, well, we don't need phonics. We teach fourth grade. I'm thinking, well, you know, more than Three quarters of my kids really do, not to mention the advanced phonics skills that aren't even taught till those older grade older grades when we get into multi-syllabic words and morph and looking at morphological awareness and all of these things. So I just feel like that was a big thing for me for so long and still is, is I want to call all these companies up and be like, stop marketing only to second grade because third, fourth, fifth grade, eighth grade teachers need you too, because there are struggling readers everywhere. And that's so hard. And you know, statistically we look at, I know the national. Association of Education Progress did a study, I think in 2022 was the most recent one, that more than 68% of fourth graders are reading below grade level. 68%. And when you think about that, and that, and what is so crazy about that as well with that statistic is their standard is proficient reading, which if you're, from, if you're familiar with that standard, proficient is not going to be functionally literate in society. So even the 32% that they're considering where they need to be still aren't where we need them to be. And so that's just, to me, that is like a crisis when you think about that, because also with that research shows that after fourth grade, we are like 72% less likely to catch those students up. So like once they get there, if we're not giving them targeted extreme interventions, they're never going to get there. And just, that's what we're, that's what we're sending out into society. We're setting these kids up for failure and that just, oh, it hurts, hurts my heart. So yeah, yeah, a lot to say about it. <laughs> oh my gosh. And like, it's just wild. I, I was thinking about this and I, I was listening to something the other day and it started making me think about this. It's like, it it is criminal that we are passing kids who cannot read. Like people think that that's, you know, whatever, like they did, they made some progress. We don't want to hold kids back, but it's like, that is not the biggest issue we should be facing. Like holding them back is not going to affect them as much as them not knowing how to read. And it's just, it's crazy that it's crazy that there's not enough awareness still yeah. decades. Like it's like, this is not like a new thing. No. I think it seems new because social media like helps us see things more, but I'm sure you've been doing, you've been doing this for a long time. I've been doing this for a long of, time. You know, first off, we know like science of reading is 70 years of research. I mean, this is like nothing new. Right. And that's also where it gets so frustrating with people being like, well, there's a pendulum swing. It's like, it's, there, there is no pendulum. Like this is, this has been here for forever. The pendulum does not exist because this is science backed research. And also, I think the other part of it, too, as you get into upper elementary, so many teachers are so it's so foreign to them to think about phonics and phonemic awareness, because it honestly, it's a it's a higher ed problem. And I could say that, you know, and I always say, like, after working with schools, the next thing we need to, need to tackle is universities, because teachers are coming out of these universities without the proper training to be able to teach this. And especially in upper elementary, if you have a degree that is not going to be early ed, you're getting none of this, you know, so. I'll work with schools and I start saying things like phonics and phonemic awareness to third, fourth, fifth grade teachers. And they want to cry because they feel like they're failing their students, but they were never taught any of this. And it's not their fault. They were never given the tools to do it. 
And so I think that's also so frustrating. I was one of the very few lucky ones that I had a college professor who recognized that I loved and was very passionate about literacy. And I, I would, my degree, Ohio's degrees are very weird. So my degree I ended up choosing was four to, grades four to nine, which is like a totally weird, yeah, very weird age range. And so she was like, you might want to teach kindergarten. Like you love this too. I'm like, I know, but I can't pick. I don't know what to pick because I like all these grades. So she had me at a reading specialist minor. So that like certified me for pre-K all the way up to eighth grade. And so that required me to take Orton Gillingham based courses with, yeah, so this is, you know, 15, 17 years ago, I'm taking those classes in college. So lucky because that was non-existent at that point in most universities. So getting in my first classroom, I had those, those tools and I knew what to do. And I will never forget, you know, I was teaching fourth grade. This is probably like my fourth or fifth year year in. And I had fourth graders that were well below reading level. And my district was sending K through two teachers to some Orton training and some other other new trainings that had just come out. And I was like, oh, that sounds awesome. I've been trained, but I'm always looking for more. And I have such a group of kiddos that needs this this year. Email, you know, the, the higher, the ones that be the higher ups that make the decisions and basically say that. And the response back was, you teach fourth grade, you don't teach phonics. <laughs> yeah. That was my face. What? Yes. So I was very lucky with your computer screen because I was like, whoa, babe, I don't have a poker face on that one. Yeah. <laughs> so we did, you know, I did what every educator does. I wrote a really crazy email back and then I like erased the whole thing, closed my computer, waited 24 hours and sent something back and basically just said like, here's the data, you know, more than 70% of my students do need this. I want the tools to continue to reach them. Long story short, I didn't get to go because only K through two needed that. And so the next year, I just told my principal, hey, you get me a sub. I have to renew my license next year anyways. I'll pay for the training myself. Please just get me a sub. And he did, thank goodness. So I was able to get more updated training to help those kiddos. That, but You said you did what any educator would do. Do you ever come across, like, there are some educators, one, that don't know that this is a problem yet. Like, so that's yeah. like, hopefully, like, what people like you and I are sharing more stuff on social media. You um, we both do lots of speaking. Hopefully that's spreading the awareness. But have you come across educators that do know what to do and are like, no, I, I'm, I'm against this. I don't care about changing. Yes, unfortunately. And I always say one of these times I am going to do like a social experiment because if I'm ever working with third grade and up teachers, right. And I will say also, you know, you get into third, fourth and fifth grade middle school, you do get into like the departmentalized. So I do understand there's that aspect where some teachers are like, well, I teach math. And that's a whole other thing I get on, get on because if you teach math, you teach reading, you teach science, you teach, I don't care what you teach, <laughs> teach kids to read because they can't do anything that you're teaching them if they can't read. So that's a whole other, you know, day, a whole other podcast. But when I'm sitting there in those rooms, I should do a social experiment because the second I say the words science of reading or phonics or phonemic awareness, the amount of of the teachers that get their phones out and like immediately check out before they even hear what I have to say. And so it's so frustrating because I'm thinking you right now, I'm, I'm going to put the evidence in front of you and show you the importance of this, but you have to be willing to make the change. And, and I think I do try and play like, you know, devil's advocate with this of the fact that in education right now, there's just always one more thing on every teacher's plate. So to them, it's like, this is one more thing I have to learn and I'm, and I'm probably not going to get support. So I think that's why I'm also really constantly trying to provide as much support like as I can, because I'm thinking most of these companies are not. So like once I leave here, who else is going to follow up with them? Who else is going to give them the support that they need? So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of pushback from a lot of teachers. There's also occasionally the, the viewpoint. And thank goodness this is few and far between. But there will be those teachers who are like, I teach fifth grade. I have no business teaching this. I'm like, but you do, because... Yes, while yes, this might not be in your standards in fifth or sixth grade, 
it is in your standards and the fact that for them to do the skills you want them to do, they have to be able to do this. And so that's a really hard brain shift for a lot of these teachers who are like, listen, I got a middle school degree because I didn't want to teach phonics. Like, Mm -hmm. again, understand that. And like you said, what you're doing and what the, the message we all keep trying to grow will hopefully start to lessen the need for that, right? Like hopefully this is that we know we know there's going to be a trickle down effect. And the more it's done in pre-K and early ed and all of those things, it will get into, we'll, we'll need it less in middle school, but it's always going to be there. We're always going to need this in middle school. So it's definitely a philosophy shift for some teachers and a, you know, a wake up call. Say I'm thinking sure. about some of the questions that people have asked. Um, and people will say, okay, I'm the only one at my school that wants to make a shift. How do I start getting other teachers on board? Or do I just like skip over them, go to admin? How do I get admin on board? You talked so much about how like you were like, and I wrote the email or I went to admin. But I think so many people are afraid of doing that, afraid of like ruffling feathers, afraid of saying the wrong thing, afraid of like being wrong actually in like in what they're asking for. Yeah, I think that's, and I think that's really hard. There's always, I always say that's like, there's like a two- way perspective on this. Number one, I always hate to put it all on that teacher to like make the change, right? Because I'm always like, listen, I'm a big, big believer in the word capacity. I hate the word balance. The word balance drives me crazy. Everyone's like, well, how do you balance it all? It's like, no one does. I don't, if I'm doing awesome teaching today, I'm probably not doing great being a mom that morning. Like it just, it's just balance doesn't exist. But capacity, like I always say, like, what do you have the capacity for at that point in your career or in your day or in your week? And that word capacity, you know, can mean so what you think about is like, what do I have the the room for, right? So to approach, like sometimes maybe you don't have the capacity to take that on right now. So what you're going to do is you're going to change lives in your own classroom. You're going to, you know, shut your classroom door. And I always get people say like, well, I'm not brave enough to shut my door and teach it. But here's the deal. You can still be teaching your curriculum and be doing this because you can still teach. If, if you're supposed to cover theme that week, there's no reason you can't cover theme, but introduce the book with some phonemic awareness and pull some phonics skills out of that. So like you can still make it work and still you know, that fun F word fidelity, you can still teach with fidelity and do what you're told to do while, you know, doing what's right for kids. So maybe that's all you have capacity for. And that's okay because you're changing lives in your classroom every day. But if you do have the capacity, I always say like there, there's endless research out there. There's people like you, people like me, you don't have to do an argument. I I think it's a very quick email of thank you. I would just love for you to take some time to look at some research that I found and just attach some research. Put the research in their face because the research is facts that speaks for itself. And then you don't waste your breath trying to argue a point that might not get anywhere. And it's hard to argue with it's hard to argue with research and facts that show, you know. My favorite quote I always tell them to send is, and I I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it's the one where it's like, if you teach kids to memorize 10 words, they'll only know 10 words. But if you teach them to to learn the sounds of 10 letters, they'll it's I think I, I think it's like. 353 sound words. And then it's like 21,004 sound words. And it just, it just goes up exponentially. Right. And so that's a perfect example of like equity in education. When we're not doing those things, we are creating this massive gap. And that right there, like that small little quote can be the quote that changes it for an admin or a teacher to see that and be like, ah, like that's a fact that I can't ignore. Yeah. And I think um, I think I heard what is it like people need and I would argue that it's more than this, but to hear the same thing seven times. I think about this when I'm like, I have to combat this on my own on sharing on social because I'm like, people must be so annoyed of me. And I'm like, who cares? You know, I've been saying this a lot lately. My sister was talking about um, like some statistics she heard about that, like women are um, don't want to 
like mostly women don't want to offend people. So they would be more likely to like get in an elevator with someone that made them feel uncomfortable rather than protect themselves. And like the slogan was like, be rude, stay alive. And I think that about education, like you can't be like, oh, I don't want to annoy people. Like kids' lives are on the line. Because you might not ever know the child that you help in or parents listening. Like it might be your child. Like, unfortunately, you might be two years fighting this and have to do it outside of the school. But the school might change in two years and then countless children's lives will change because you were the squeaky wheel that just kept bringing up the research and bringing the facts. Really, you got to not be afraid of like being annoying because who cares if you're if you're protecting kids? Absolutely. And I, and I think most most educators we know, you know, almost most people who end education, they have that passion for kids. Right. So they want to see kids succeed. And when you see those facts and you know that this is the way to do it, it's very hard to ignore. You know, it's very hard to ignore that this is how it goes. And it's also one of those things where I'm always like, listen, give it a, give it a month. Teach it this way for a month in small groups. And I can promise you, especially those upper elementary teachers who are not familiar with it, it's like, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have those kids. I mean, I can recall fourth graders coming to me crying because they hated to read. And it wasn't because they hated to read. It's because they were intimidated. They were scared. They had, they had never been given the tools to read. And then you do these things and they to watch, you watch how much they transform because in upper elementary, it does happen. Like developmentally, it happens so much faster. You just can move at a faster pace. I mean, they're just ready for more faster. Even your most striving readers, like even your lowest readers are just ready for a faster pace developmentally. So you see within a month, the change that you see in the success and then seeing the joy on your, I mean, I can vividly still picture faces of students who like it clicks, right? And that's that's why you teach. You teach for those click, clicking moments, those teachable moments of like, wow, I got them there. And so I think if they just, you can just get them to try, try it. <laughs> like you'll see that. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great tip. Like just say like, can we try it for a month? Or even like, there's so much, at, there's like so much access to free resources. If mm -hmm. your school doesn't have the budget, say like, maybe say, hey, I found all these free, um, unfortunately that it falls on the teacher in this, but like maybe, maybe say there's three teachers at the school that are all on the same page and you say like, okay, I'm going to come up I'm with the curriculum for the week. You come up with the curriculum for that week too. And like you come up with three weeks and then you find all, you piece together these free resources, yeah. maybe like put a limit around it. If you need the boundary, like say, okay, I'm going to research for five hours this week. I'm going to come up with a week of curriculum to share with the third grade team. They're going to do a week and just then present to the admin here's what happened because yep. that's exactly right like nothing else matters if kids can't read like unfortunately the sub there's no other subject it's all connected and i also go with i mean i i don't this is not going anywhere and i do think while it, while it's going to take some states a very long time unfortunately it's going to happen right it's going to happen everywhere because it's, it's too large to ignore so it's going to have to happen so i also sometimes talk to these teachers and be like listen it's coming whether you want it to come or not, it's coming to, you know, every grade. And so what you're learning now, even if I have some teachers are like, well, what if we get a new curriculum next year? But it's like, this isn't, we're not talking about curriculum here. We're talking about, you know, research-based practices. So like, if you can learn the research behind it, it applies to any curriculum you're going to teach. So it's like, you're not wasting time. You're just preparing yourself for anything that's going to be thrown at you. You're going to be able to do so much more seamlessly because you understand the why, like why this is so important.
The why is so important. I I think that all the time. I've worked with a couple of teachers who they were not given any training. They were just given curriculum. And I'm trying to relate that to any other field. Surgery, like you need the training. You need the experience. And that is such a missing piece. I think people will be like, okay, fine, we'll buy the curriculum. But like there needs to be the yeah. training, the understanding of the why, why we're doing this. So, yeah. And I always say too, like, it doesn't have to be an overhaul of your curriculum. And, you know, this, this goes to every single grade. Again, I always, I always speak most to upper elementary just because that's where I've really tried to grow a lot of this knowledge because of the fact that there's no support. I'm always like, listen, where can I, I mean, I, I will happily work with pre-K and I work with preschool teachers all the time and kindergarten teachers all the time. And I'll keep doing that, but they're just more out there for them. Right. So I'm always trying to like really pour into upper elementary as much as I can. I'm like, listen, that's not to be your whole curriculum. If you're, if you just make a goal that, you know what, next week, we're going to throw this stupid spelling list that we have our kids memorize out the door. And instead we're going to switch to sound list. And so you don't have to, you don't have to do anything big. You're going to spend 10 minutes a week and you're going to get rid of spelling lists and you're going to do sound list. So you're going to look at, all you got to do is you can Google, there are multiple scope and sequences out there. They're all available for free. Find a scope and sequence. If you, even if you don't, I mean, obviously in a, in a, perfect world. You're given a universal screener. You're figuring out where to start, but even if you don't have time for that, pick a starting point on that, that, you know, that scope and sequence. And that becomes your sound list. You know, we're going to focus this week on trigraph TCH. That's going to be what we're going to do. We're going to learn the sounds for it. And we're going to learn all the words, you know, we're going to practice words and practice all the words. And then I'm going to assess you on how well you can decode and encode those words in fourth grade. And then we move on to the next one. Even just something simple like that, will change the trajectory of so many students in your classroom. So I'm like, it doesn't have to be an entire curriculum. It can be one thing. And then once you find success and get comfortable with that, next thing, right? We just do one step at a time. Yeah, that's that's actually great. The next question I was going to ask you was where, okay, so say I'm a fourth grade teacher listening to this and all of my kids are reading at a first grade level and I have Lucy Calkins curriculum, which by the way, I also like, what do you, I meant to ask that too. Like, what do you think about that? Cause so many people are like, what do I do if I still have Lucy Calkins and no updates to it? So those are two questions. What would you say to the fourth grade teacher that is like, I do not even know where to start. Like what, like, can you give a very specific, like, that's what you would do. Here's what you would do for yeah. that. Absolutely. So that honestly, what I just probably just said would probably be the first point. I would be like, start with this, get rid of spelling. Cause every, almost every curriculum has spelling in it right now, right? Like you're teaching upper elementary, you have some sort of spelling list. So I, I that, my first step would be to throw that out and switch to sound list. And you might even be able to keep like a Porsche. Cause sometimes when you look at a spelling test, sometimes they will, cause they'll be like words that rhyme or, you know, they don't have an actual pattern, usually phonemically, but you can probably find some commonalities in those words. So that'd be my first step. And then the second part of that would be, I would just every day commit to 10 minutes of word of word study. So that doesn't have to be an entire auditory visual blend. It'll be the whole drills. Well, yes, again, perfect world. We get there, but it can just be starting with committing to 10 minutes of word building where it's, you know, maybe today we're going to just work on segmenting sounds and blending. And then, you know, we're just going to map out the sounds in a word and then we're going to blend them together using some sort of manipulative. And then tomorrow we're going to focus on looking at, you know, syllables. We're going to work on, you know, syllable type, but just something where you're doing 10 minutes, maybe 10 minutes of just giving students letter tiles and having them build and form words and talk about the sounds that they hear in them. Like nothing fancy, but just making those those steps. That's what I would be like. That's what you do tomorrow, right? You do sound list and you do word building because any sort of word study can grow into like 15 different things that you're teaching based on where your students are at. You don't have to make it up yourself. I always say you don't have to be, you don't have to be creative. You just have to be recreative. So just find it and recreate it for yourself, right? Like you don't have to come up with it yourself. Like Google exists, Pinterest exists. Like it's all out there. All yeah. out there.
Um, okay. And then, so a lot of people are always asking about Lucy Calkins. What are your, <laughs> what are your well, thoughts? And I, can, and I can speak like very closely to this because that was a curriculum, you know, one of the, one of the curriculums that I got the lovely, you know, uh, honor of teaching for a while. Um, so I here's what, here's what I will say. I'm always, and I, I, we've had this already kind of said this, but I'm always willing to like see both sides. I mean, yeah, you really do seem like that. Like you're not like no worksheets, only this. You're like such a balance. I try and well, because I'm like, listen, I've been in the classroom. I know like day to day, we all know once you've been in the trenches, like you don't know what day to day is like. But, and so many people that are making the decisions don't know what day to day is like. So while I did not love Lucy and cannot sit there and be like, oh, yeah, you should all adopt this. I think it can be a big waste of money for districts. The good components, there's some good literature in there, right? So if you're teaching fourth grade, there are some great books that are included in a Lucy Calkins, you know, whatever. That's great. So I always say, take the books. You're following the curriculum by using the literature and then do what you know is right for kids and put the phonics, the morphology, the vocabulary in that you find in peace with it. Because you really can. And, you know, you can even in, in upper elementary, I'm a big believer that it has to be seen in every part, all the five elements of literacy. So I, in upper elementary, especially like I really do not think that you can teach phonemic awareness in isolation. Like I think it has to be connected to phonics. And I think that phonics has to be connected to vocabulary. And I think vocabulary has to come from authentic text. Like I just do not, I don't believe that any of those so comprehension fluency, I think all five have to be connected, especially in upper elementary. So I think really what you can do with it, I always say whenever I talk to school districts, you know, or teachers that are using a Lucy situation, take the literature out of it, use that. And, you know, used to also, you can use like the comprehension skills, right? So if the lesson that week is on theme, you can still teach theme, but then you're going to take your phonic skills, your vocabulary, your morphology, and you're going to put that within that text. So you can still use what you have to use, but then add in the parts that, and connect the parts that you really need that is missing. Yes. I love that. So I work with a lot of like first and second grade teachers and they're really, and kindergarten teachers really struggling to understand which well, I'll, they actually are reading when they have memorized 50 sight words and I'm like no yes it looks like that it sure does but they've just memorized the shape of the word or that word and that's or the yeah and that's a different part of the brain than what we are teaching that we want kids to use when they're actually decoding do you have any like magical thing that helps those teachers understand that it just has looked like they are reading and they're not actually reading. Honestly, I, I, I always just say like, you have fake readers. That's what I mean. I always talk and have conversation of like, you have created fake readers. And I always, I always share like personal experience because I'm like, I will get fourth graders who have been fake readers for three years and they've gotten by. And then I put in front of them, you know, multisyllabic words. And I put in front of them words that have larger morphemes and they're trying to decode those and they can't because they do not have the word attack skills that we need to teach them. And that's a perfect example of like they've gotten by and then they get to a harder text and they can't do it because they don't have the word study, word attack skills. So I just I always have this conversation of like, you know, fake reading is really when, when, when students are memorizing because that's great for that word in the moment. But if you they cannot think about it. They cannot apply that skill to another word because they don't actually understand why this, why the word makes that sound. So that's great for that word. But what about the other 50 words that fall under that same category that you should be teaching them? So it's just really, I'm like, there is a lot of fake readers out there and then they get to middle school. And it's also why getting into a bigger problem, we get into high school, we have students that aren't ready for college who can't read college level texts because they've fake read and they've gotten by by, you know, memorizing words. And then they struggle. It's kind of like, if this 
thinking that like oh, it doesn't really matter right now or like okay people are warning us that it's gonna be a problem in a couple of years i feel like that those are like the naysayers like of science of reading where they're like oh sure okay in a couple of years it'll be a problem it's like the same thing as like if you were gonna be like well i eat mcdonald's three meals a day every day and so far i'm fine it's like okay well actually we have evidence that that is not good for you and you might feel fine right now but let's see what happens in two years. You really want to risk that? Or like, I'm not going to wear sunscreen for two years. Like it's, nobody would do those things. So why are we doing that with reading is, yeah. is like the question. It's a really good analogy. And it's, it's also, I think, even just putting in front of those like younger teachers of, okay, if you teach it that way, put, put a, put a bigger word in front of your students and see if, see what they do, like see how they approach that bigger word. And if all they're doing is guessing and just throwing things out there, you know, right there that, you're setting them up for failure. Cause like how, how, what are, I mean, eventually that those are the words that are put in front of them, right? Like that's where they're going to go is to that. So just mm -hmm. that example right there. Cause if you teach them skills, even a first grader can get parts or word attack parts of a very lar larger word. So I think that's a big, you know, putting the skills into action can be proof right there. People, it's really funny whenever I like post, you know, you know, that the curse of social media, whenever you have something that goes viral, you have so many like, oh, yeah. we get both. <laughs> So like I I had a video about some something and like teaching kids like where words come from and people are like sure because first graders can do that I was like yeah no they can yeah. <laughs> right like it's hard for us but it's actually they're like teach me yes they get it all and it's always like I I think I always think of it like it's like you said reading is life at parenting the amount of things that like as a mom. That I'll have a grandparent be like, well, we never did that. And you're fine. Like you, you know, you ate, you had dairy, you ate honey. I'm like, okay, that's great. I'm glad I survived, but I'd like my child to not die because I poisoned them with something they're not supposed to have. So like, just because like, yes, it's a small percentage, but who wants to be the small percentage, right? And it's a similar thing like that. I mean, reading, it's a larger percentage, but it's like with everything, just because some people got a buy with it doesn't mean we want that for everyone, you know? And that's, a big part of what it. I always say too, like when you look at the research, uh, the proof is in the pudding, right? We have the, pr the proof is in the pudding and we, and we have the recipe. It's not like we're trying to guess how we got there. Right. So it's like, it's right in front of us. We have it all. And it doesn't have to be this complicated journey. And I, I will again, saying to, to all sides of it, I think the argument sometimes for educators who have been in it for a long time are like, well, I was here 20 years ago when I had to learn about balanced literacy or things like that. But again, where was the research to support that, number one? Like you didn't have, there was no research supporting that. That was just thrown out there, right? With some fake research, to be honest with you, and also just non-research back strategies. Um, but also with, with that, I think the problem we have right now is everyone's so loud about phonics and phonemic awareness, which is necessary, right? It's necessary because it's been lacking such an extreme. But then we're, 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 we're forgetting that it's the big five, right? We're still talking about fluency. We're still talking about comprehension. We're still talking about vocabulary. No one who studies the science of reading is telling you to throw those things out. What they're saying, though, is without the other two, we're never going to get those. And I think right now, some of the naysayers, they only hear phonemic, whereas and phonics. And they're, I mean, the amount of times I'll get, what about comprehension? What about fluency? What about vocabulary? I'm like, I'm not saying they're not important. Like, they're equally as important. It's just, they can't do those without the other two. And then again, like I said, you have to tie them all together. So I think it's just the understanding that Yes, the phonics and phonemic awareness studies are the loudest, but that doesn't mean that they're the only, right? The rest of it's still a part of all of this. The science of reading encompasses all five of those. So that's a yes, big part of I, it too. I literally just did a presentation this weekend and I was like, run from anyone who is like an extreme because 
anyone that is actually talking about the science of reading does not mean that we don't care about comprehension, fluency, vocabulary. That is part of it. So like no one there, this is like the reading wars thing is not a thing. It's like, it's science of reading research includes all of the things that kids need. It's, it's not just phonics. When people are like, well, you need both. It's like, yes, yes. No one is saying otherwise. Right. Exactly. And, and again, you need both and, they, and you, they all need to go together. Like that's the thing I think we're missing sometimes too, is that's what the research has shown us too. And that's kind of something that I think some curriculums miss sometimes is the amount of things that are taught in isolation. And that's what creates also a bigger problem. So I think that's a big part. I'm constantly work, working with schools because, okay, they'll get like a science of reading back curriculum that has some great pieces and parts, but then everything is like so choppy. So it's like, how do we make this all flow? Because in, able, in order to really teach it to our students, it has to be connected. Do you have like a favorite, this is what, if you have no unlimited budget and your whole school can get trained in this, get this. And then also, um, what can people come to you for? Yes, I love that. Okay, so here's what I will preface this with saying, there is no perfect curriculum. Like there's, there's no curriculum that's ever gonna replace an educator in a classroom. It's just not. You are a trained professional. You are with those students day in and day out. No textbook, no company knows the kids in your classroom like you do. And so while I do think that there are good curriculums out there, I don't think there's ever going to, I think everyone's always looking for that perfect one that they can just open up and teach from. And that just doesn't exist because our students are not robots. They have differentiated needs and we have to be able to, as educators on the fly, you know, adjust and teach, teach to them. And I think that also that being said, higher ups need to trust their teachers and train them, train them first and then trust them. So train them first. I always say, you know, trust, trust is great, but they have to have the tools to be trusted, obviously, you know, train our teachers, give them the training and then trust them to make the decisions they need to make with that curriculum. So, you know, telling teachers to teach it with fidelity and that's tying their hands behind their back to do the right thing for their students, even if the curriculum is awesome. So I, a couple ones. See, I, I have had a couple experiences working with some schools that use CK, CKLA, and I will say that one seems to have some really good all five literacy components. It's probably one of the very few I've seen that has a strong, has a decently strong phonics, has a decently strong comprehension, vocabulary, fluency. All the things are connected and, and look look pretty good. Um, in terms of like a phonics, and uh, sometimes I always say too, those curriculums though that have everything tend to be the hardest to adopt because there are so many pieces and parts and you're trying to figure out like where it all fits in your 90 minute block. So sometimes I think it's almost better to just adopt like a phonics, phonemic awareness, like really that curriculum and then mesh that into on your own or pull in a curriculum that has really good lit like literature, pull those together. So that can be hard. I've worked with a lot of schools lately that have been using UFly, and UFly seems to have a really good scope and sequence that's like really developmentally paced well. It also has some really great hands-on components. It follows all of the theories of repetition. It has, you know, really stru structured lessons, but that also have some engagement to them because that's a big part problem with a lot of the other phonics programs is the engagement is like really lacking. So those are probably the two I would say that I'm like right now, like, okay, those I've seen some good success with them, but I think you can't replace a teacher. <laughs> You cannot. Oh my gosh. The teacher needs, I, I actually worked with a teacher who was like, the school bought me a curriculum, but they didn't get me any training. And that teacher like ended up leaving mid-year because they were like so unsupported. They were just like, I don't know what to do. And they asked for so much help and they just didn't get it. It's hard. Yes. I always laugh. We'll get a curriculum out and I'll like pull a Sharpie out and like start crossing. People are like, oh my gosh, don't touch my mouth. I'm like, guys, you don't need, like, you don't need this. You're just going to overwhelm yourself. Cr get it off your plate. Cross it off. You don't need this, you know? And 
I just think it's a big part, giving yourself permission that you don't need everything. You know, you need, you need to do what's best for your students. That's why I think it's just such a, like looking at a 90 minute minute block and actually training teachers to understand a framework, like training them to understand that I have 90 minutes to teach literacy. Here's how much time I should spend on each thing. It doesn't have to be a rote curriculum. It's more of, I know I should spend, if I'm teaching first grade, I'm going to spend 15 minutes every day on phonological awareness. And then I'm going to spend 25 minutes every day on a phonics lesson. And then I'm, you know, and then, so you're, you're understanding like what that looks like. And then you can fit in whatever, because again, like we just talked about, there's always going to be the newest and better curriculum. And you can get so lost in the overwhelm of trying to learn it. Whereas if you understand more of the framework, you can fit anything in, right? Like you can teach anything. And so I think that's a huge part is training teachers to understand research back strategies for, you know, whatever you're going to be using. Yeah. And I would say like, I'm a big fan of habit stacking in my own life, but like I, whenever I work with teachers, I'm like, take the, what is it? Eight minutes that like your kids are transitioning, packing up their stuff. Like that is phonological awareness. time. Yes. Find new time in the day. Like look at, or like maybe, you know, I was, I worked in a second grade classroom and we had a bathroom break that was 15 minutes. And so everyone would go and that like, you know, they would be two in at a time. And so we would be doing phonological awareness drills in the lines when, you know, kids would be going in and out of the bathroom. So it wasn't like everyone just was missing class whenever they needed to. But it was like there were two times in the day that took 10 or 15 minutes. But that was not just like wasted time. It was phonological awareness time. So use use the time that you already have or like see where you could make some like habit stacks. Absolutely. Fit it all in. And again, again, if you're connecting things, that's so much easier because you're you're almost double dipping, right? Like you're seeing it like same thing with phonics. You know, again, if you're teaching a phonics skill, why why would you not when you're reading the text that day, why would you not look for that phonic words with that follow that that sound that find those phonemes in the book that you're reading? Like why would you not stack those skills? Because it's just reinforcement. I think that there it is like something about teachers that like make their lives harder for themselves. Like I'm speaking from my own experience because I I was actually just giving a presentation um, to the library staff in Chicago. And I was like, stop, you know, like in story times, I was like, I used to do this when I would do baby story times. I was like, okay, so today we're talking about dogs. So I have to have five songs about dogs and five books about dogs. But really like if the language skill I wanted to teach was about like getting kids to say dog, then I'm going to do the same song three times, but maybe I'm going to make my voice really high for this one. Or maybe we'll go really slow for this one. Like Take what you're doing and expand that rather than being like, I need tons of new stuff, like repeat the same things and just change it a little bit. And then you're probably actually going to be helping kids a lot more. Absolutely. I love that. Yes. Okay. And last question. I feel like I could talk to you forever, but um, how <laughs> what people come to you for? Awesome. So I would say like, I'm passionate about a lot of things, as you can tell during this time we spent together, but kind of the two main things I really heavily focus on and try and support educators in, and not just educators, parents, which I love that you do that too. Cause I, you know, I'm on the parent side of it too, where I'm, I'm seeing, I've had my own children who have had amazing teachers who've had all the training and tools and they jump right in with science of reading things. And then I've had them have teachers that don't have the training. And I'm sitting here like, oh gosh, please don't make my kid memorize a hundred sight words. Like, please don't, you know. So I'm sitting there taking, tearing apart that list at home and trying to have my students, you know, my own children, you know, map out the words and how do we do this? But always looking to support parents and teachers. And number one, making all of this engaging and fun. I think a big part of all of these curriculums and also the overwhelm of the educator is that you're trying to follow, you're trying to learn something new. So all you have the capacity for is to follow that scripted curriculum. But then how do you, how do you make it hands-on and engaging? Because that's what research really shows us, right? Is that 
They have to see it, they have to hear it, they have to say it, and they have to move with it. So what does that movement look like? And how do you make it without overwhelming yourself? Like it can be very, very simple. So I'm always trying to share little things that can up the engagement, because if we up the engagement, we up the student accountability. If we up the student accountability, then our students are going to learn and progress more. So that's like, I would say the number one thing I'm always trying to you know talk about with all of this is tying engagement. And then the second thing, like I've shared many times, is just supporting upper elementary educators into middle school of like, what does this look like in your classroom? How can, how can I support you to be able to make this happen in your classroom? Because you're not getting support anywhere else. So I try and be that support for them. So yeah. Love that. Oh my gosh. Well, I'll link everyone to follow you and do so many things that you share, but, um, it's so, it's such a good reminder that like teachers need support and it is, it's out there. Like, it's not just isolating. Like, so don't like reach out, ask for it. Like reach out even to strangers on the internet. Like you and I are now like speaking and creating things now. So we're not in the classroom, but there we have been in those shoes and like, that's why we're here. We're trying to make the community. So maybe it's not a teacher in your building, but like look for it because you'll find that the support is all around. I've had so I think I've had so many like mini PD sessions in my DMs and Instagram. We're like, okay, let's talk through this. <laughs> like, like, let's talk about how we make this happen in your classroom. Send me some data on your students. Like, we're gonna make this work. <laughs> I, I've had people, I'm like, send me a picture of like your kids spelling tests. Or Which, like, by the way, I think the title of this episode should be, and I think say no to spelling tests is gonna be <laughs> throw them out. Get rid of them. Throw them out. That's the one thing you can change, and it can like change, it is gonna have such a big ripple effect. So, so that was great. Great advice. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Amelia, for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Like I said, we could talk all day long. This is great. <laughs>